The year 2000 arrived with a bang. Many were worried about the millennium bug, Bertie Ahern was Taoiseach, Mary McAleese was president, and Westlife were riding high at the top of the charts. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun, but the hills that we climbed were just seasons at a time. I think that's enough of that. It may be hard to imagine, but 20 years ago we were still using floppy disks, the most popular phone in the country was the Nokia 5110 and we were just about getting to grips with texting. Over the next six weeks, we'll take a look at just how much has changed in 20 years thanks to technology. Embedded Tech and Town, thanks to Salesforce. Celebrating 20 years helping Irish businesses, people and communities grow. This is News Talk. Today we're looking back at Dublin in the year 2000. I'll visit the area now known as Silicon Docks to gain insight into how that area has transformed and I'll head to Sandyford for a tour of the South Dublin region that has home some of the biggest tech giants for more than 20 years. Before we go on our walk around the city, let's take a walk down memory lane. The new Nokia phone stands by for up to 11 days and you can talk for up to five hours. And it's the first mobile phone with covers you can change yourself in seconds. The new Nokia, with Nokia Express on covers. For freedom of expression, Nokia, connecting people. Yes, that was the height of technology back in the day. The ability to change covers to express personality and an 11-day battery. We had the GameCube, the PS2 and we're still seven years away from the launch of the first iPhone. It was around this time we started to see tech companies such as Salesforce and Google choose Ireland as their European base. Today Ireland homes many of the biggest tech companies and innovative startups with a significant number basing themselves in Dublin. I went down to CHQ on the North Dock in Dublin to find out more about the role technology has played in the city's development. Carol Tallon, CEO of Property District. My, I've been involved in the planning, construction and property industries for uh, well over a decade and a half, touching on to two decades here. And over the last number of years, we've been particularly involved in the PropTech side of things, which is the technology across the built environment. And Dublin has become such a hotspot for that. It's actually become a really central European hub for PropTech and technology servicing the built environment. And actually the Docklands is the best example of this because it is aiming to be the smartest two square kilometres, uh, certainly in Ireland, but it's on track to be one of the smartest two square kilometres in Europe. So you may be able to hear the wind blowing down the microphone as we stand outside the CHQ building here. And we are in the heart of the city. We're in the heart of sort of the Silicon Docks area. We're surrounded by big tech companies, a lot of innovation going on. But we're looking back at the year 2000. So what was in this area? You know, was this a tech hub back in the year 2000? It definitely wasn't a tech hub, but I would go so far as to say it was an innovation hub because there was always things happening down here. I mean, uh, we're standing outside the CHQ and I'm no historian, but I'm pretty sure that's coming close to its uh, 200th 
anniversary um, so that building has stood here for almost 200 years and its uses have changed a lot and if you track some of those changes from warehousing through to entertainment you'll see that actually the spirit of innovation was here for for a long time long before technology was seen as the as the uh, I suppose the marker of innovation and so as I'm talking to you now, I'm like doing a bit of a spin. So I see the KPMG building. I can kind of see the PwC building. We've got HubSpot. As I said, we're, our backs are kind of to CHQ. What has gone on here over the last two decades? Who have we seen come in? And how has it changed not just the skyline, but the value of this area? Um, now, actually, the skyline has not changed as much as people would like it to have changed because this is an area that really was primed for height and it didn't really get the, the height that the area possibly deserved. Um, because actually where we are now, we're really kind of at the edge of the IFSC touching off, um, touching off kind of the Docklands area. But actually, if we were to go further west or further east, what we'd see is actually uh, the skyline at, uh, towards, say, Grand Canal Dock. That's changed more significantly. We've got uh, taller buildings there in terms of straight, State Street Bank. And then obviously you've got really iconic buildings going in here starting, you know, uh, almost two decades ago with the convention centre. But more in latter years, the uh, central bank you know these are really iconic buildings that will shape the skyline and you know one of the arguments we always have in terms of urban planning is that we want to preserve some of the more iconic things in 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 dublin and within every city but it's really important to remember that a city and a skyline reflects the people and they change every generation so we want for every generation to see its marker on the skyline and i think the docklands is probably the best place in dublin to see that as we walk around this area, you know, we'll see in a few minutes time Windmill Lane, which has huge uh, history associated with it, the likes of U2 and so on. We're seeing, as I said earlier on, a lot of the banks. The development of this area really is sort of a timeline of Ireland's involvement in the tech sector, isn't it? It absolutely is. But I think it's really important to point out that actually with any uh, area that's being built, with a new area, particularly outside the city centre that's being built up, there will always be trial and error. So there were definitely things that, were, that we got right. There was definitely things that we didn't get right. And when we look at the Docklands now, you know, yes, we see all of these high tech um, uh, international brands so I mean you have everything from Accenture Google PayPal eBay you know if we go right across uh, into Grand Canal Basin um, you know all of the top tech companies have a base in Ireland and, and a solid base in Ireland and, and employees in Ireland which is really welcome we see two bed apartments we talk routinely only in the last week or two you know we talked about the cost of delivering social housing in the Docklands and it's insane two bed apartments for nearly three quarters of a million euros you know that's not what we want and sometimes tech companies kind of get the blame for that so I think it's really helpful to look back over the past two decades and point out that when the early apartments came or were built and were delivered the investors in those they weren't international investors they tended to be business people from Dublin or from all around Ireland they were pharmacists from Cavan they were you know accountants from Carlo they were people who uh, maybe were looking to secure a pension pot through property and they were the first early investors in the Docklands they were buying up one and two bed apartments down towards Spencer Dock and some of the early parts of the development and 
the reality is that an awful lot of those lost their money lost their apartments where they were mortgaged they tended to go into more than double negative equity so yes we talk about prices increasing now and the yields being reasonable for for a city this size actually it's important to say that the really brave investors that got in here first most of those lost their money and the people that held on to their properties are probably still paying off the negative equity and so was there a clear turning point where, you know, now it's smart to have a property here or an investment here? Honestly, I don't know, because all of these things make more sense when you look back. And, and you know, like, like all of these things, they're much clearer when we look back. But I can remember, um, you know, in the early days of using Twitter, so going back a decade, I remember one of my first uh, Twitter, I, I won't say rows, but certainly encounters online was with an auctioneer who was just dipping his toes into the Docklands area. And at the time, there was very little. I don't think the Mark Hotel was even open at that stage. And I had a day of, of working with buyers looking at properties down in the Docklands. And they were pretty horrified. And I wasn't overly impressed. And I remember I tweeted something about the dreary Docklands. And, you know, this estate agent came back to me and said, no, you're missing the point. Uh, the Docklands is just poised waiting to happen we're waiting for new developments and and so i think a lot of the infrastructure was there but the investment hadn't followed and um, so we had apartments but we didn't have the office occupiers in there and we didn't even have the offices we had the footprint of offices so we had the sites behind hoarding so it was very difficult to see and i can certainly remember a decade and a half ago when i started working down around the docklands you could not get a cup of coffee in a lot of places i can remember when um, the first on Hanover Quay when the first spa opened and it was wonderful but back then you could pull the car up outside and go in and get your coffee it was the only place open so actually if you're asking has there been a turning point I would say a decade and a half ago was probably the start of it but it did really didn't it didn't feel like it properly took over until probably the last seven eight nine years I've lived in Dublin my entire life and the only time I would have been in this part of town was either driving towards the ferry to see my sister in Wrexham or going to the Three Arena to see Westlife play when I was a kid with my dad. That was the height and now I'm down here a few times a week, there's so much going on. Has it been a concentrated effort to make sure that this area has a full offering or is that just supply and demand? Uh, there's actually there's an element of both there and you know I don't think that we can discuss the development of the Docklands without pointing to developers like Harry Crosby you know who were so brave they saw the vision they put their money where their mouth is you know they developed back then speculatively and lived in the area you know so they had a vested interest when you have a developer who's living in an area you know they've got a vested interest in the place making and that goes so far beyond the houses and the retail units and uh, the office blocks that you're going to get in and actually you know you rightly point out about um, the three arena it will always be the point depot to me and I think that would be most uh, as a culture that would be most cultures uh, experience of the Docklands they would know it as the point depot um, so I, I don't know there's definitely been a concerted effort and then as occupiers came in office occupiers came in then suddenly you had you had some cultural shifts like a shift towards um, you know we point a lot to the millennial generation but actually I think it's very symptomatic of what consumers want now they want convenience they want comfort they want not to be commuting in their cars they'd rather not use public transport so actually if they're in a position to walk to and from work if they're in a position to have their gym around the corner if they're ha if it's possible to get their lunch on the go and um, these are all things that contribute and actually one of the really interesting things I remember you know 
tech companies are famed for having these almost like little microcosms happening inside so they full universes happening inside their campuses and that and actually when tech employers came to ireland first they tried to do that and they did do that so they were providing uh, in-house food and entertainment and then they realized by doing that actually they weren't contributing to their local communities so instead what they did is instead of uh, some of the some of the better tech companies recognized this was a problem and that they weren't contributing to the communities so instead of providing snacks in house and food in house and entertainment in house they were giving vouchers for local businesses and that's what drove local businesses local retailers and in fact we can see during the period of lockdown that actually local coffee shops local spars and um, in this area where they you where most of their their clientele were office workers going to and from work and in their breaks they're the people who are really suffering so actually there's a lot that tech companies can do to endear themselves to the local communities and I think for the main part they do that. So let's stick with the local community and let's talk about housing now and there's people who have lived in and around this part of town their entire lives, their parents lived here their entire lives. Is it fair to say there was a bit of um, disruption caused to the local residents when this construction started, when all of a sudden there was cranes shadowing over gardens in Rings End, that type of thing? Yeah, look, you can look at it in a couple of different ways. Disruption is normally seen as, you know, in the context of, of development as something uh, quite temporary, whereas actually what we've seen here is a complete regeneration of areas. But there's a fine line between regeneration and gentrification. And I think, you know, looking at the high prices, looking at the shift in the type of retail that was available, um, we can see that we definitely went into the realm of regentrification, which is essentially trying to turn every every area into some middle class ideal and there was definitely an element of that and the community the local community rightly pushed back you know there's a way to develop that that improves an area that's economically viable but that doesn't alienate the existing community particularly communities that have lived here for generations and I think that some developers are better at this than others. Some are particularly more sensitive to the areas. And do you know what? Some developers actually are part of the community and sometimes we forget about that. Um, but actually some of the developers who particularly live and are from the area, they have a much better idea on the cultural sensitivities. And so they develop with the community in mind. You know, there's a placemaking uh, tenet that, that says the community knows best. and. That comes down to understanding how people use the space. Like where we are today is beautiful. You know, we're, we are within view of uh, the river. We're within view of green areas if we walk further east, um, as well as a whole range of coffee shops and eating places, you know, that are top class. Mm -hmm. And that's what communities want. They want the mix. You know, you don't want an area where as soon as you have children, you have to move out to suburbia. You know, if we're going to revitalise our city centres, then they need to be suitable for all stages of life. So whether it's uh, young people starting out, whether it's people with young families, whether it's those in retirement. So communities have to cater to all. And um, the Docklands, I don't think we prioritise catering to everybody in the early years, but that's definitely changing. As you were talking there, I saw Lewis go by behind you. And the Lewis is another great asset to the local community, to the workers both here and uh, Sandyford, where we will be going in the next part of the show. Is it fair to say that, you know, the government and the city planners and the city councils responded to this influx of tech companies coming to the city? 
Well, uh, you know, it's interesting, the footprint for the Lewis would have been there before the influx of, of tech companies. And by the way, that's how it ought to be. You know, that's the key to planning, that you're not doing it uh, reactively, uh, that you're actually planning and then we build the areas around that. Um, and in fact, Sandyford is a great example of that, even though I know we're standing in the Docklands today, but Sandyford is again one of those examples where you had the Lewis going out before you had homes built and people thought it was crazy. You know, and even early people going out buying those houses thought it was crazy, but actually now look at it, it's a thriving community. And what happens with every thriving community is that actually we tend to build up small community centres. So you tend to have then local takeaways and pharmacies and local facilities because that's what happens when you have thriving communities people want to service those thriving communities um, and run businesses within them and the Docklands even in pockets of the city that that tends to happen and actually Dublin is probably one of the few cities that is still operating on village basis we you know Dublin city is a collection of a lot of villages I want to talk briefly about smart cities initiatives and why it matters that our buildings are being built smarter that we have you know uh, smart bus stops smart lampposts like, w w the benefit to this to every Irish citizen uh, is pretty is pretty huge isn't it oh it is and look normally when we talk about uh, smart anything there's almost like a misunderstanding about it the reality is every device we have is dumb until we connect it to something uh, so what makes it smart is the element of connectivity and um, this Docklands area is is the most connected to square kilometres in Ireland and it is one of the most connected to square kilometres in Europe so it's it's not the it's not the sensors on lampposts or in drain gullies or our smart benches you know what makes all of these things smart is that they're connected through uh, the Internet of Things IOT to uh, collecting data and it's the application of that data that then makes them smart so in fact um, how do people you know in rural Kerry or uh, rural Limerick or Mayo how do they benefit from a smart quarter like this because we're collecting data all the time on consumers and their behavior and on pedestrians and on cyclists and all of that data feeds into planning decisions and that's something that's new to Ireland it's new to planners all around the world but it shouldn't be so new you know but we're striving for a more empirical approach to planning whereby we use the data we look at how consumers behave at a crosswalk you know we look at how cyclists behave how pedestrians behave we learn from that and then we apply it through our planning it makes spaces better and finally then as we look at the development of Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick, Sligo it's consistent and I think what we what we're learning now is that people can work remotely so do you think the transformation that we've seen even here in Silicon Docks alone do you think that will be replicated across the country um, I don't know if it would be possible to be honest the Docklands is quite unique uh, so maybe one of the closest places we see to that um, is uh, in Limerick uh, there's great smart city initiatives going on in Limerick as well and uh, Cork they both have regions like Dublin's Docklands that would have been you know warehouses lots of space within walking distance of the city centre um, but in terms of in more market towns I think where the benefit is more likely to be uh, this huge dependence on high quality broadband you know that that remains uh, in fact to my mind that conversation has only gotten louder as more people embrace remote working and in fact one of the trends we've seen in Ireland which completely mirrors the trend in the UK is that property portals like Daft in my home or, or Zoopla in the UK they've had their busiest time ever they've all had record traffic going on to their sites 
and what that's telling us is that the traffic going to their website and the searches we know that people are looking at exiting the city that they're not they're not embracing city living the way that we expected they might and they're actually looking at places that are within a commuting distance but not daily commuting so if they only have to commute twice a week they're looking at places so in fact the commuter belt what we're probably going to see is going to re- is going to widen from Wicklow right down into Wexford and from Kildare right down into Carlow and possibly even Kilkenny and when we look west you know one of the most important things we're seeing is um, this rollout and development of uh, the the spoke and hubs so essentially we're seeing uh, co-working spaces innovation centers popping up all along the west coast of wild atlantic way all around coastal areas and all outside of a two two hour radius of dublin and that's really important that's they're the kind of things we need if we really want this remote working experiment that we've undergone over the last six or seven months if we want that to actually become a way of life in the future of work then they're the kind of solutions that we need. It all hinges on great broadband and great data storage. And that was Carol Tallon speaking to me at Grand Canal Dock. Coming up next, I head to Sandyford to see how the arrival of tech transformed that part of town. Embedded Tech in Town on News Talk. Thanks to Salesforce, celebrating 20 years helping Irish businesses, people, and communities grow. This is Embedded Tech in Town with Jess Kelly. After my visit to the Silicon Docks, I jumped on a Green Line Lewis and headed out to a very windy Sandyford business district, which has homed many big tech companies for more than two decades. Neil Richmond, TD. I was born in Ballantyre, which is a couple of kilometres from here. Grew up in this area, went to school in the area, worked every sort of part-time job and student job imaginable in the area. And then in 2009, first started representing this area on the council, into the Senate and now in the Dáil. I grew up in this area as well. So my parents are from 10 minutes down the road. And the, the development that I've seen in this area in my 30 years has been incredible. The rate of change, the fact that this is now a destination for tech companies, for businesses, for hotels, it must be pretty phenomenal when you chart all, all that development. Absolutely. When it comes to Sandyford, Sandyford is originally a quarry. People came here to mine granite. And in 1967, they set up the Sandyford Industrial Estate, which was an industrial estate to mine the, the granite and send it out around the, con- around the country. It was, you and I would have grown up knowing it as the industrial estate. Can't call it that anymore because it's very much Sandyford business district. So we're now in today where we've about 30,000 people, 25, 30,000 people working here every day in normal times. Obviously, a lot of people working remotely. And additionally, 5,000 people are living here. And a lot of people who are working here now want to live here. They want to be able to get out of bed in the morning and be at their desk in five, 10 minutes. A lot of people are working a 24-hour cycle. They're serving, servicing the entire EMEA region. They're servicing the entire world. But a lot of it is tech, light technology. It's come a long way from granite and uh, de- depots for shipping around the country. And it's, it's really a thriving area. 20 years ago, was there much around the place? Like I even remember 10 or 15 years ago, you may have had to go a long way to find a cup of coffee, like a coffee shop. That has changed dramatically as well. It's changed, but it still needs to change more. So 20 years ago, we didn't have the Lewis. So everyone was driving here, or traffic in this area. It's still not great, but it was absolutely terrible. No one was living in the area. So they were commuting long distances. The M50 was chock-a-block every morning. 
and when you'd get here, you might have one or two convenience stores. Now we've got two hotels here, a number of cafes, restaurants. And the real big difference for me is you come here during the week on a Tuesday, Wednesday, it's always thriving. But now you're starting to see people here during the weekend. People are living here, people are coming here, and it's no longer just Monday to Friday, nine to five. Did it take a long time for people to move to this area? Again, when I was in school and I would say that I live in this area, people would kind of squint going, is that not down the country? Like, is that in the way to Wicklow? It was very far out in comparison to where we are today. Well, absolutely. Look, we stand here and we can see the beautiful Dublin mountains. You go five minutes and you're going to be at farms and stables and everything else. But the biggest thing in terms of access has been the Lewis. You can get out from the city centre in under 20 minutes. Second to that, the, the nature of industry here. People want to live here because they want to work here. The jobs that are attracting people, a lot of people coming from across the world, Co companies like Salesforce will have over 70 nationalities servicing the entire region, and they want to live where they work. And again, this is somewhere worth living. Into the city centre quickly, you're right on the M50, and within 20 minutes you can be on the beach or up a mountain or down the countryside. That sounds fantastic. However, for those who have lived in the area, that brings rising rents, rising uh, house prices. It means that the Lewis is busier in the morning. I know that I'm bitching and moaning about not getting a seat every day of the week on the Lewis. Um, how do we balance and how do we as a community balance the open arms, welcome to our country, give us all your jobs and ensuring that our quality of life doesn't suffer too much? When it comes to rents and housing and accommodation, thankfully an awful lot of apartments and homes have been built in this area as a result of the business district. So people are wanting to move and we've got buildings of their 10 stories, 11 stories, and some not finished and that's another story altogether. But that's why we want to make sure it's proper living. In relation to transport, we're getting extended Lewis carriages every month, 24 new extended Lewis carriages. We also have real investment in cycleways and the paths to make sure that people aren't, we really want to make sure that people who are living and coming to Stanford work aren't coming in their car. We want them to come on the Lewis, on their bike. There's good bus networks as well. And then the next challenge, which is people are putting down roots and they're raising families, is making sure we have the new schools. So we've set up, in my 11 years as a public representative, this area has had three new secondary schools and half a dozen new national schools. And they're changing national schools. They're, they're Educate Together, they're Gwael Scullina. It's reflecting the, the diversity of the population here. It is the biggest challenge, but it's that wave of people that are going to come in. This is the biggest rates generator in the entire county of Dunleer at Down. If Sandyford wasn't here, we wouldn't be able to pay for our new roads or our wonderful parks for Hill and Marley are only a couple of minutes from here. That's why it's so vital that we meet those challenges head on. Over the last number of years, you know, the, the business district has continued to develop. We have seen new buildings go in for a lot of the tech companies. Central Park, although it feels like it's always been there, hasn't always been there. How welcoming has the local community been of this development? Because it was very quiet up here. There were a lot of green fields. And that change for someone who's lived in the area for 40 or 50 years, it is quite disruptive. Yeah, for sure. And there has there was difficulty. A number of local residents have and continue to be quite concerned with some of the development of the area. If you're living in what was traditionally Stillorgan or Kilmacud and there's a 14-storey apartment block or office block behind you, you're not necessarily happy. And they've gone through the planning process, they've gone through on board Panola, so it hasn't always been smooth sailing. It hasn't like people go, everything here is wonderful. And then the onus then is on the local politicians and the council to make sure the development is appropriate. But we do see the kickback into the community. We have a new park, Naval of the local GA club are 
are playing right in the heart of the business district. We have a, a charity 5K every year, and we're seeing more and more local people working, not just in the jobs and the big tech companies here, but to service them. So you have your small IT distribution company or your news agent or whatever it was traditionally are seeing their client, client base expand. It's, it's like development anywhere in the country. If it's done properly, it can be excellent, but there will always be difficulties. However, I think certainly on the balance of it, the Sandyford we have today compared to the more grimy industrial estate you and I would have grown up is so much better. And it's part of the realisation of what life, not necessarily in the city centre, but in the suburbs can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we're, we're standing, like my, I have my back at the moment to another construction site. There is a lot of construction going on here at the moment, which is, Good to see, but how do we ensure that we don't go overkill? How do we ensure that we keep on to that Sandyford that maybe it wasn't as glamorous, but it was still our home. It was still a place that we knew, a place that we recognised. No, and the, the most important thing is we have everything that's being built here is guided by the Sandyford Urban Framework Plan. So that decides not just the construction in terms of commercial and industrial, but also we have the matching residential and matching leaser facilities. So one thing, big campaign I'm part of, haven't quite got over the line is we have the reservoir to our right um, that Irish Water own. They're completely renovating that. It's brilliant. But that's going to lead to a, a new park, a four acre park that's locked up and it's locking out the local residents and the people from further afield. So it's making sure we see the common sense to open up that parkland, to make sure we have the green loans for this area. And certainly the Sandyford of 30, 40 years ago was gone. And that's a good thing because it was traffic congestion, it was heavy industry, it was dirty industry, it was hardcore mining and quarrying, the likes of which aren't realistic in a suburban setting. Do you have, as a local representative in this area, do you have much dealing with the tech companies here to ensure that they are giving back to the community, but also feeding the community into them so they have their finger on the pulse of what's going on on the ground? Absolutely. The tech companies have actually been the real drivers of it. I think we went through a stage a couple of years ago where there was four job launches in the space of a couple of months. And this wasn't 2030. It was 300 jobs. It was 1,000 jobs. And we've seen the tech companies doing a lot of work, particularly with local schools. So they're encouraging the schools to come on site, be it Salesforce or Microsoft or some of the smaller ones, to experience what a career in STEM will be like. And that's been really, really impressive. We have a brand new school here, Stepside Educate Together Secondary School. Thousand pupils up the road in Leopardstown. They're into Microsoft once a week to talk about the practical applications. And it's not heavy duty. It's quite good fun to see what you can do. And then when they get into these buildings, and all of them are unique, but all of a sudden you can see the, the different ways of working. It's a 24-hour cycle. They have smoothie bars, they have yoga studios, they make sure that there is parklands for people to go to. They work very hard, but they get paid really good. The jobs, the average income of someone working in Sanford Business District is €85,000. That's twice the national average income. These are good jobs that in turn put money back into the local community. We know that there's a big development going on in the Cherrywood area as well. Do you think that that will be a continuation of what we have here in this area? Or, you know, should we have our backs up a little bit going, you know, they're going to steal our thunder? Cherrywood will be quite different to Sandyford. Sandyford is very much a business district, whereas Cherrywood will have a lot more retail. We see that Carrick Mines as well. So this is where people come to work, to live. Cherrywood will be a bit more of a destination. You'll go to do your supermarket shop. You'll go to some of the large out-of-town or not-so-large out-of-town chain stores, as well as living in the environment. There are a couple, of course, some really big anchor employers in Cherrywood. There's an awful lot of schools within Cherrywood as well. 
but it's quite different to Sandyford. And I think, again, Sandyford will still remain, even when Cherrywood's complete and everything's finished off, Sandyford will still be the economic driver for this region. In terms of, and I know I don't want to jinx it, but when elections come around, what are the issues that people in this area sort of raise with you on the doorsteps? Because we know in parts of rural Ireland, it'll be broadband, it'll be, you know, uh, public transport, issues like that. We are very fortunate in this part of Dublin because we have fantastic transport. The majority would have decent broadband, uh, access to education, stuff like that. What would be the key issues for people? It's, it's the same issues as around the country, to be honest. Access education is one that you've just hit the nail on the head. There are lots of schools in this area, but they are full. There is a very young population here. My own kids are about to start school soon. We don't have a place for them. And that's what to make sure that people have schools to go to and choice in education as well. It's not one size fits all. Um, transport can always be improved. We need better bus services, better cycle lanes. People really want to feel safe that commuting to the city centre from here shouldn't be a maybe on the bike. It should be a gimme. Um, and then there's everything that goes into making sure that the taxes that people pay, and they do pay a lot of tax here, sees that return on services, making sure that, like everywhere, the potholes are fixed, be it at a council level or on a national level, we're not going to throw the economy off the, off the cliff. I've just come through a general election. I think I've been running for election here for, as I said, for 11 years and working on elections for another 11 years. The issues are always quite broad-minded. We do see the national scene because so many people are exposed to it. You have a, a very cosmopolitan population in the in the business district. It's a very hard place to canvas because apartments, you do a lot of it outside shops and outside the Lewis station. And a lot of people are coming in. You do have people worried about, well, I've just moved here from Sweden or the Middle East. How do I get my child into a school in September? How do I get the roots into the community? How do I access things that many people, I suppose, who were born in this country take for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned there about uh, apartments and as someone who lives in an apartment and lives in, like I live in Leopardstown, so I'm quite close to this area and I have seen myself the cost of rent in this area go through the roof. And it is very frustrating when people who grew up in this area, whose families are in this area, are having to move away from the area because they're not working in a Sandyford business district business that has a salary of 85,000 or an average salary. That, I'm sure, for people our age and younger and people who are coming up, is a big point of contention. We had a, we had a lost decade uh, in this country as an entirety, particularly in this community, when if you look at the 2004 County Development Plan, that was when we had the explosion in accommodation building here, private, affordable, social just stopped for a decade and we've been working since then since the recovery has come in to catch up so you can see we're surrounded by developments here of people coming on stream it's not just here it's the 1600 new homes that the government is building in the central mental hospital site in Dundrum we see it throughout Glenamuck Road, Carrick Mines, Ballyogan Road there is a huge amount of development we have to make sure we get the formula right that we see real affordable accommodation built in that people can always access accommodation here a lot of people want to live in Sandyford, understandably. It's a really great area. But if we look at the planning permissions, there's still 7,000 homes to be built in this area. And it's a matter of getting the builders in to, provide, to build that, getting the finance there to allow them, and making sure we can push ahead of it. Even though we're in the grips of a global recession and the pandemic is raging, we still see the building sites. We still see people willing to put down deposits. And it's making sure that the supply is there and that we catch up with that lost decade.
Um, the supports that are there for people to stay in the area, it, it does go beyond, you know, just how much you earn. Your family network, we mentioned education, young children, having that family network around is super important. Do you think realistically, is it viable for people to say, you know, if they're our age now, that they want to raise their families in this area, that they won't be priced out of it? No, absolutely. Look, I grew up in Ballantyre and the vast majority of my friends, be it from school or sport or a wider network, are now starting a little bit later than probably my parents were able to find a home, maybe a decade later, but they're starting to find that opportunity. It, as I said, we had a lost decade. It was extremely difficult. We aren't there yet, but I certainly think it is a viable option. Maybe it mightn't be right in the heart of Dundrum or right in the heart of Sanyward. It might be more towards Carrick Mines or Cherrywood. Again, it's those developments that is just part of always the growth. The people who grew up in Ranla, maybe or grew up, you know, they moved out to Dundrum and vice versa. We always have that knock-on, but certainly the key to that is providing the mix of accommodation. And Sandyford's the key driver of high-density, high-quality apartments and duplex accommodations that we see going up above our heads right now. Talking of going up over our heads, will we ever see, you know, taller buildings than what we have now? There's a very, very tall, unfinished building as across from the Stillorgan uh, Lewis stop. Do you think that we can go higher here? Well, certainly that's the Sentinel building and that's a fabled building that will be finished at some time. But we see two planning commissions right beside it for 16 and 17 storey developments. Now, they were controversial but you're starting to reach the upper echelon because even though this is a high-density area, we are surrounded by low-rise suburban. So perhaps the height is going to go more into the central points. And we see that with development. Certainly, I've been a, a long-time champion that in our urban areas, particularly in Dublin City, around the docks, we are grossly underutilised in terms of density and height. And I think everyone's been saying that. The cap of 19 storeys or 20 storeys is completely unrealistic in a modern capital city. We're losing so much space down by the IFSC and other places that we could go up. Here in Sandyford can play that part too. We are on the Lewis line. This is a major artery into the city centre going out to the key areas. We have to have high density, high quality accommodation along along those lines and we have to be wary of those people who live there of course do it in consultation of course do it sensitively but we can't completely hold a progress going forward so we're here obviously because uh, we're looking at tech over the last 20 years and if we look at this area it's hard not to sort of merge the development of the area and the influx of tech companies do you see that overall as a positive thing that has contributed to the wider sense of identity for this area Absolutely. As I said, Sandyford, when it was set up as an industrial in 1967, was a heavy old industry. It was quarrying, distribution. Now we've actually got a niche that is progressive and can grow. And the best thing about having so many tech companies here is, of course, I mentioned they're all earning high salaries and paying and spending those salaries locally. But it's really bringing a cosmopolitan air to the place. We have 72 nationalities in most of the tech companies here of all sizes. That's brilliant. It's really identifiable. You know, we've free Wi-Fi wherever you go in Sandyford. It's all about working remotely, working flexibly. People have no problem going to work at 4 a.m. or 4 p.m., depending on what the needs of their work is. But that's all catered for here in Sandyford. Sandyford no longer closes at 5 p.m. midweek or at the weekend. And certainly if you see the vibrancy, if you were to go to summer racing in Leperstown when it's on, and you see the amount of people who are coming out of those tech companies and seeing something that is absolutely traditionally Irish in terms of a horse racing route followed by a concert by the horse slips or someone like that. It's great to see that blend of what was more traditional with the really new expansive cosmopolitan image that Sandyford has. 
That was local TD Neil Richmond speaking to me in Sandyford Business District. So as you've heard over the last hour or so, a lot has changed in Dublin over the past 20 years. But I'd love to hear from you. What were you doing in the year 2000? What technology were you using? And what were the biggest changes that you remember encountering along the way? Was it the first iPhone that came along in 2007? Was it the advancement of cloud computing? Uh, please do get in touch with your recollections and your stories. Techtalk at Newstalk.com is the email address. On next week's episode of Embedded Tech in Town, we're going to look at the arrival of big tech. What did that mean? How did they come to choose Ireland? And what was the role the IDA played in all of that? My thanks to researcher Sonia Tutti. From me, Jess Kelly, until next week, take care. Embedded Tech in Town. On News Talk. Thanks to Salesforce. Celebrating 20 years helping Irish businesses, people and communities grow. 